Ignition sequence start. Oh, see, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. Yeah! Oh! Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three, and got it! I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. Harden and Westbrook played extremely well, and now the Rockets get to ride off into the All-Star break sunset with a victory. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin. You can find me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. You can also find our show on Twitter at Locked On Rockets. And hey, do me a favor. If you appreciate what we do here at Locked On Rockets, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, Stitcher. Subscribe there, write a review, leave us some stars, and as my good friend John Corrales pointed out, please share the podcast on whatever platforms you do follow us on. I would sincerely appreciate it. It would mean a lot to me. The Rockets beat the Celtics 116-105 at home, and now they get to ride a win into the All-Star break. That is huge. That is a momentum-building win, especially on the backs of what you know were a couple of I don't want to really call them questionable losses with the Phoenix loss and the Utah Jazz loss. They played well in the Jazz game, and then you lose off of a heart-wrenching buzzer-beater three. That always sucks. Those don't feel great, and it was well defended. And you can make the argument, yeah, if James had made a couple more threes or if they played a little bit better defense, yeah. But you played well enough to get down to the final second and a half, and then you lose off of a buzzer-beater. That just, you know, that's, that's a game that could have gone either way. And then the Suns game was just, again, kind of a schedule loss, no Westbrook. You lose Eric Gordon for half the game. The team was just kind of out of whack. You played the Lakers the night before, and you played a hell of a game against them. But this was a great win against a good Boston Celtics team. The Celtics came in being one of the only four teams with an above 700 win percentage in the league. It's the top three Eastern Conference teams, the Bucks, the Raptors, and then the Celtics that are above 700, and then the Lakers in the West, and that's it. So they're one of the best teams in the league, and the Rockets handled their business and took care of their business against the Celtics. And that was in large part due to the really great games from both James Harden and Russell Westbrook. So James Harden poured in 42 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, had a steal, had a block. He did have 6 turnovers. The Celtics' defense was at times playing him to the best of their ability, you know, making him uncomfortable with the double teams, forcing the ball out of his hands. But I think that he did a good job being patient and, you know, still facilitating, you know, getting the ball to whoever the, you know, the the player was on the wing that they were doubling off of, whether that be Westbrook or Daniel House or Austin Rivers at times or Ben McLemore. Obviously, that person rotates. But James did a good job of getting the ball away from the double team. And then at times, he was getting the ball back. We saw that a few times during the game. The play that stands out in my mind is the one where he dishes the ball to Westbrook. Westbrook slashes in immediately and then immediately kicks the ball back out to James who then is able to pump fake the three, take a you know quick dribble to the to the right, and then he shoots up the three-point shot, goes in, crowd goes wild, 
And that's that's great for him to be able to dish the ball out of the double team to get the defense scrambling and then to get the ball back and not have to face the double team anymore and be able to play his game. That's huge. In addition to that, so his uh, his shooting numbers for this one, 17 of 18 at the charity stripe, got to the free throw line quite a bit in this one, 7 of 16 from behind the three-point arc, good enough for about 42%, and then 9 of 19 overall shooting, so a majority of his buckets coming from behind the three-point arc in this one as opposed to the Utah Jazz game where he shot 90% inside the three-point arc and struggled from behind the arc. So it seems like it's just been one or the other from James as of late where he's either got it going from behind the arc and decides not to drive or he's driving almost, not exclusively, but driving because or in lieu of being able to hit his three-point shots like he did against the Jazz. Russell Westbrook, the other side of that dynamic duo, 36 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, couple steals. He himself did have 4 turnovers as well. 10 of 13 from the charity stripe for Russ. He did attempt 2 threes in this one. So Russ, you know, taking a shot at a couple three-pointers and, you know, it's not the end of the world. As long as he keeps himself reined in, I don't mind him taking a couple threes. I really don't. But as long as he keeps himself reined in, that's perfectly fine by me. 13 of 23 overall, when you think about it, 13 of 21, because he attempted those two threes. So he's still playing efficiently inside the arc, which is what we want out of Russ. From the Celtics side of things, Gordon Hayward was the team high at 20 points, along with eight rebounds and six assists. Uh, Jalen Brown also dropped in 19 points, three rebounds, had an assist. And then Jason Tatum had a really off game, really struggled against this Rockets team. 15 points, did have nine rebounds, four assists, four steals, but didn't hit a single three-pointer. 0 of 7 from behind the arc, just 5 of 15 overall. Not a great night in the books for Jason Tatum. You know, and as far as this game goes, when I was talking to John Corrales about it, we were thinking that, that Marcus Smart would actually be kind of the key factor in this game with his history between not only himself and James Harden, but also his history between himself and Russell Westbrook. And we were thinking that Marcus Smart might actually be able to get inside the heads of both of those guys, honestly, by, you know, maybe angering or baiting Westbrook enough to essentially take James Harden out of the game because if you've got Westbrook kind of like you know a, a bull in a china shop if you piss him off enough then he's going to kind of tunnel vision and just want to you know show up the other person and we didn't see that at all in this game you know Marcus Smart obviously you know he played some great played some great defense at points in this game but he at no point did it feel like he was shutting down Westbrook or Harden it really felt like it was a team effort to get those six turnovers out of Harden a couple times you know where he was trying to split the double or maybe dribbled it a little bit too much same thing with Westbrook I remember one play distinctly either early on in the first or uh, in the second quarter where Westbrook was you know, getting ready to face up, I forget which defender it was, unfortunately, but, you know, he was dribbling the ball just a little bit too much, and then it just basically slipped out of his hand. So I think a lot of these turnovers at times were self-inflicted by the Rockets more so than they were because of, you know, just great defense by the Celtics. So get more on this great win from the Rockets here in just a moment, but we got to hit this break, so we'll be right back so you guys don't go anywhere. 
And we are back in here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, going over the Rockets 116-105 win over the Boston Celtics, improving the team to 34-20 and on the season, now 19-8 and at home. Celtics fall to 37-16 and on the season, now 15-11 and on the road, where most of their struggles have come from. You know, to only have five losses in the season so far at home, pretty solid play from the Celtics. Now, I think that in this one specifically, I've got to hand it to James Harden. That third quarter tear that he went on has to be, you know, I, I like to usually try to come in with, I guess, a series from the game or, you know, a sequence, a stretch. And to me, it could have easily been that stretch, you know, where they go on a 15-2 to run at the very end of the game. But it really felt like they created the separation that they needed in that third quarter. I mean, James Harden. The guy had 19 points, 19 of the 31 Rockets points in that third quarter came off of James Harden. He was on an absolute scoring tear in that quarter, completely took over. Westbrook himself did have eight of his points in that quarter as well. So uh, the only other Rockets that scored anything in that quarter were actually just P.J. Tucker had a couple points and then Robert Covington had a couple points. That's it. Everything else came at the hands of James Harden or Russell Westbrook. James played basically the entire quarter as per usual. He hit three three-pointers in that quarter. He hit eight of his of nine free throws in that quarter. Westbrook, again, dropped in a couple free throws. But really, that stretch. And then also, on top of that, holding the Celtics to just 22 points in that quarter. That, I think, was huge. They really they opened the game defensively really strong, holding the Celtics to just 19 points. But then to do it again in the third quarter was absolutely huge. The 19 points in the first quarter by the Celtics was the lowest first quarter point total besides a game earlier this season where the Rockets hold the, held the Clippers, I should say, to 15 points. So to come out of the gate and... You know, keep this Celtics team from getting off to a great start and then to kind of reset the clock and do that again in the third quarter is always going to be a good thing. You know, we don't get to talk about defense a lot with this team, but I'm hopeful, you know, with this new addition of Robert Covington, the team is now two and two in the Robert Covington era. And they could very easily be three and one in the Robert Covington era if it weren't for the Bogdanovich prayer that got sent up at the end of the Jazz game. And speaking of Robert Covington, who was phenomenal in this game again, I'm falling in love with Rocco. I really am. He had 12 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, 4 blocks, did have a couple turnovers, 4 or 5 from the charity stripe, just 2 of 8 from behind the arc. So only 25% 3-point shooting in this one. But I think it's because he's still trying to find himself in this Rockets offense. And I say that because... There were a couple po- a couple points, a couple possessions in this one where he had a wide-open three by Rockets standards. Maybe not by traditional NBA standards, but by Rockets standards, he had some wide-open three-pointers and just didn't take them. And I think that as he gets a little bit more comfortable in the system, he'll start to realize those are the looks that he needs to take. There was one play specifically that comes to mind where Westbrook generated you know, a, a wide-open Rockets three for Robert Covington. And Rocco opted to, you know, pump fake the three, start driving the ball in. There was nothing there because the defense was able to get reset in time and then had to kick it back out to Westbrook. And I want to say it ended with a Westbrook turnover or maybe a shot clock violation or something. But it was a sloppy play all around. Or maybe just Westbrook jacked up a contested shot. But 
it was one of those where you look at it and it's one of those where you're you're head scratching because that's a shot that you have to take if you're a Houston Rocket because those are the shots that the Rockets look to generate and that one had to be taken otherwise it was there was no time left in the shot clock unfortunately and he'll learn he'll get used to the system and he'll realize hey these are the shots that I need to be taking and I'm not too concerned with the two of eight three point shooting I mean he's fitting into the system exceptionally well. Obviously now the Rockets are playing without a legitimate center with PJ Tucker, you know, standing at a towering 6-5 holding down the center spot for this Rockets club, but Robert Covington gives you so much length that he kind of makes up for what you're lacking in a center in certain regards. You know, his his length, his ability to contest shots. I mean, he finished the game with four blocks. And the Rockets as a team are now rebounding my committee. Everybody in the starting lineup had a minimum of six rebounds. That's huge. Like going down the line, P.J. Tucker, six boards. Covington, seven. Daniel House, nine boards. Russell Westbrook led the way with 10 rebounds. James Harden, eight rebounds. The starters are now, and this is, a, this is an adjustment. It's an adjustment period as they get used to not having a traditional big. Now, yes, they've played small ball in stretches, but now it's a mentality for the entire 48 minutes, where for the entire 48 minutes, they understand, hey, we have to rebound as a collective unit, and if we don't, we're going to get out-rebounded. Now, they did get out-rebounded in this one, but can you guys guess by how much? It wasn't double-digit numbers. It was by three. That's not bad at all. That's impressive. Anything less than 10 rebound, anything less than a 10-rebound 10, 10 differential, I am ecstatic about for this ball club because they're giving up so much height, they're giving up so much length by running small ball that the rebounding edge was 48 to 45 in favor of the Celtics. Now the Celtics decidedly they they do have a bit more length and a bit more size in this Rockets club, but they also run a version of small ball or a version of positionless basketball. I mean, we saw Ines Cantor play all of a whopping 8 minutes before Brad Stevens realized that he was unplayable against this Rockets club. So I mean, their two main bench guys were Marcus Smart and uh, Wanamaker. That's it. And then they played their starters. So very similar to the Rockets lineup where the starters got heavy minutes. You had Austin Rivers who played 20 minutes off the bench and then Ben McLemore who played 18. And then Tabo Cephalosha played about nine minutes to spell P.J. Tucker at points in this one. So overall, the Rockets did what they needed to do and shored up their rebounding. They also forced a decent bit of turnovers. Celtics had 18 turnovers. Rockets scored 17 points off those turnovers. And that kind of plays into what they've been able to do. I mean, you go down the entire starting lineup, everybody in the starting lineup had at least one steal besides Daniel House. James had a steal. Westbrook with a couple steals. Covington with three steals. P.J. Tucker, two steals. They're really forcing turnovers. They're creating havoc. They're creating chaos. And they're making things hard for other teams. And it's because they do things to the extreme. That switching defense that they pride themselves on, that causes a lot of issues for other teams. That causes miscommunication. And we saw that in this one. We saw the Celtics struggle against that scheme. Final segment and final thoughts here in just one moment. So we'll hit this break and be right back. Hey. 
And we are back in here for our final segment at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Talking about the Rockets 116-105 W against the Boston Celtics. And some final thoughts on this one. You know, I mentioned it earlier. I think really where the Rockets kind of made the most noise in this game and kind of created you know, the vibe that it really felt like they were going to win this one was that third quarter. But there was also the stretch, again, at the very end of the game. The Celtics make a push, right? Celtics make a push about halfway through the fourth quarter. They get within two. They get the Rockets down, or get within two. Rockets 96-94 lead. Only a two-point lead. Rockets take a full timeout at the 540 mark. And then they come back in. James gets fouled on a three-point shot. P.J. Tucker comes back down a little bit later, hits a couple more free throws. You bump the lead to five. It's 101-96. And really probably what would have been, in my opinion, the play of the game was the Russell Westbrook dime and then the subsequent Daniel House three-pointer that pushed the lead to eight with about four and a half minutes left in this one. That play really gave them enough cushion to kind of coast to victory after that because the Celtics would move on to only score the basket, what only score the basketball, what one more time? Yeah, a couple more times. I mean, before they before they waved the white flag, they scored the ball one more time. It was a pair of free throws by Gordon Hayward to bump the score up to 98 for them. And then the Rockets would go on this gigantic run. You know, James Harden hits some free throws. Russell Westbrook gets another bucket. Really, the Rockets, you know, extend that lead all the way out to 116-98. And then the Cel- or sorry, 113-98, I should say, before James Harden hits his final three-pointer. And I mean, that was the the that was the full sub out. You know, Brad Stevens waving the white flag. So that play right there, that Daniel House three-pointer off of the assist by Russell Westbrook, in my opinion, is probably the play of the game, the deciding play. Because had he not hit that, the Celtics probably would have still had some life. And, you know, we only know how how well, you know, they would have played had the score not ballooned all of a sudden. I was getting shades of the Jazz game because this, James Harden picked up about, James Harden grabbed about three fouls in about like a minute or like 45 seconds or something there in the fourth quarter and had to play the final like seven minutes with five fouls. So I was getting shades of the Jazz game a little bit worried about how James Harden was going to be able to play defense with five fouls. And that turned out to not be a huge issue in this one. You know, and and fouls as a whole were a big part of this game. I mean, the Rockets went to the free throw line 42 times. The Celtics went to the line only 25 times. Rockets converted on 37 of their 42 free throws, good enough for 88%. Celtics converted on 20 of their 25 free throws, good enough for 80%. But that was a big part of this game. Is you know the whistles were flying left and right. Again, James Harden with 18 free throw attempts. Westbrook had 13. Rest of the Rocket starters, House went to the line four times, Covington five, P.J. Tucker went a couple times. Celtics, Daniel Tice went five times, Jason Tatum went to the line nine times. I mean, this the referees were blowing their whistles left and right in this one. It, was, it felt like a college game, honestly, at some points. And that's kind of exactly what the Celtics want to do is they kind of they're a team that it at no point did it feel like the Rockets were getting anything easy against this team. It really didn't. And, you know, they they went in there and they kind of muck things up and just the way that they play defense, you know, the way that Brad Stevens coaches that team, nothing felt like it came easy. 
So the Rockets really did have to fight for this win. Honestly, the the 15 to 2 run that they went on at the very end of the game, I was surprised that that even happened. It felt like they hit the turbo nuclear button and just destroyed the Celtics down the stretch. And I was impressed that Brad Stevens gave up as easily as he did. I mean, obviously when the lead balloons that much, there isn't much left that you can do and you know, maybe he's just like, "All right, all-star break. We're just we're not going to worry about fighting this one out whatever." If there were some areas for concerns for this Rockets team in this one specifically, it would definitely be the lack of bench production. The bench for the Rockets in this one just struggled mightily. I mean, Austin Rivers played 20 minutes, didn't hit a single one of his three-pointers, just one of five shooting from the floor, had a couple rebounds. That's about it. He hit one layup. And then Ben McLemore, just one of four shooting, hit a three-pointer, did have a couple rebounds, but... Past that, I mean, you're only getting five points off your bench. Tabo Cephalosia had an interesting stat line. He had one rebound, one assist, one steal, one block, one turnover, but no points off the bench. So this is where you're sorely missing Eric Gordon. And even though Eric Gordon's been in the starting lineup, I kind of I kind of like this resurgent play from Daniel House. You know, I tweeted it out during the game. You know, House has hit double-digit points, and in this one he had 17 points and, again, 9 rebounds. So, pretty strong game overall from Daniel House. 3 of 9, 3-point shooting, 4 of 4 from the charity stripe. Daniel House has hit double-digit points in 8 of his last 10 games after only doing it in 3 of the previous 13 games. So, basically, right, he started the season strong, then he hit kind of that lull. He hit that point where he was really struggling for a little bit. And then he, it feels like he's kind of getting back to what he was providing this team at the earlier part of the season when he was the starting small forward. And I would like him to regain that starting spot. I think that having three guards in the starting lineup when you're already small as is is kind of detrimental, and it kind of makes it hard to stagger the minutes of Eric Gordon, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden so that you always have two of them on the court. I think that makes that a little bit more difficult to achieve. So I'd really like to see Daniel House regain his starting spot. I do like the versatility of having those three forwards, specifically Tucker, Covington, and House, all in the game at the same time. And I think that overall, having the scoring punch of Eric Gordon come off the bench would alleviate so many of these struggles that we see where, just frankly, the bench team, the bench brigade for this Rockets club, they're, they're just wholly inconsistent. They've been inconsistent all year. And a lot of that does have to do with injuries. A lot of that does have to do with not having a consistent starting lineup. So then you're constantly, you know, plugging in guys like, okay, we'll have Macklemore be the starter for a little bit. Then we'll do Eric for a little bit. Then we'll do Daniel House for a little bit. Then you trade Clint Capella. So now you've got Covington who's starting a few games. Covington's definitely permanently in the starting lineup, though. He didn't start against the Lakers, but that was just because it was his first game. Covington is going to be in the starting lineup moving forward. I would be completely shocked if he weren't, even if the team were fully healthy. I would be utterly floored if Covington comes off the bench. I think that makes zero sense for this team. But moving forward, I'm excited about the possibilities of this team. Again, they are 2-2 two and two in the Robert Covington era now, and they're playing an exciting brand of basketball. You know, they have really, they have embraced the Maury Ball system. And even though they didn't shoot well from three in this one, they were just 13 of 45 overall as a team. James Harden had a great three-point shooting night, but everybody else, the bench unit struggles kind of, you know, forced the numbers a bit more south. Also, P.J. Tucker didn't hit a single three-pointer. P.J. with just four points, six boards, had a couple steals, but played phenomenal defense in this one. The Rockets were plus 21 in his time on the court. 
So that, you know, his 0 of 3 from behind the arc doesn't tell the whole story about P.J. Tucker's game if you just look at the box score. But again, the team just shot a hair under 29% from behind the arc, and they were still able to come out with a double-digit win against one of the best teams in the league, and they did it because of their defense. They really did. They did it because of their defense and because James Harden and Russell Westbrook both both had monster games. So that's not going to happen every night. Or it could. Honestly, you know, we haven't seen it happen consistently yet, but I'm kind of buying into the idea that if James Harden and Russell Westbrook can start playing consistently together, who's going to beat this team? Like, honestly. You know, I think we've got one of the best duos in the league here in Houston, and we've seen Westbrook play at this really high-efficiency, you know, level for about a month and a half or even going on two months now and James Harden obviously that coincided with one of the worst stretches of his career and I feel like it's really tough to pin the blame for you know the Rockets struggles in January where they went just seven and six or six and seven I want to say off the top of my head it's tough to pin all that blame on Russell Westbrook because he was playing great but James Harden was playing so poorly and at times the role players weren't showing up, it's really tough for me to pin any of that blame on Russell Westbrook. And obviously James Harden had his phenomenal stretch earlier this season where Westbrook was still getting acclimated to the Rockets roster. But I, you know, in the earlier part of the season, I never felt like Westbrook's play was as detrimental to the Rockets team in the earlier part of the season as James Harden's play was detrimental to the Rockets during January. And, you know, there was a lot, we were getting into it on Twitter during the game about, you know, the viability of Russell Westbrook and whether or not you can win, you know, a playoff series or, you know, a, you know, a championship even with this team. And I think you can. I really do. You know, I, for a player of Russell Westbrook's stature to completely change his game this late into his career for the betterment of his teammates, for himself to become more efficient, to do what he needs to do to play a viable brand of basketball, I think that speaks so highly to his character, to his you know desire to win, to do whatever it takes to become the best version of himself that he can be. And all it takes now is for James to consistently be the best version of James that we know that he can be. And it seems like now they have the tools surrounding them with, you know, Covington, Tucker, House when he's playing well, Austin Rivers. It seems like they've got the tools around them now to play de- you know, solid defense, at least for you know 36 of 48 minutes. Again, you hold the Boston Celtics to 19 points in the first quarter and then 22 points again in the third quarter. That's huge. They did explode for 34 in the fourth quarter. That was the Celtics' high point quarter. So things, you know, maybe could have broken a little bit differently, but you didn't exactly come out and have a phenomenal game in every facet. You struggled shooting the ball. You turned the ball over a little bit, 14 turnovers, six from James, four from Westbrook. But I think that after they regroup in the All-Star break, after they have some time, you know, get Eric Gordon back and healthy, they regroup, they've got a really strong top eight group of guys to buy into the small ball system. You've got the starters and then hopefully... Austin Rivers, Ben McLemore, and Eric Gordon off the bench with a little bit of Tabo Cephalosian mixed in here and there. It's going to be an exciting stretch. They come back from the All-Star break on, I believe, the 20th to play the Golden State Warriors. So they'll play the Golden State Warriors, and then they have the Utah Jazz right after that. So a couple road games right after the All-Star break. 
And playoffs are right around the corner. They are now fighting for their playoff seeding, which as it currently stands, they are still sitting. Where did I put my seeding at? My goodness. Did I not even pull up the seeding? I am failing, you guys. I usually have this pulled up. How dare I? All right, hang on. Standings. There it is. Okay. They are now a game and a half back of the Utah Jazz. In the So the Jazz are in the fourth seed. Rockets are a game and a half back of that. Or of them, I should say. And then they are a now two games ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they're very cozy in that five spot. Not too worried about them falling below the five spot. But this next game against the Utah Jazz, that'll probably be the the deciding factor in whether or not the Rockets, you know, will edge out the Jazz for one of the top four seeds in the conference. I'm not exactly giving up hope yet of the Rockets finishing with a higher seed, you know, in the two or three spot. I think anything's possible over the final stretch of the season. We've seen it before where this team has completely tuned up their play in the second half of the season post-All-Star break. But the way the Nuggets and the Clippers are playing, I don't know if it's going to be possible for this team to catch up. So I would be content with a four seed at this point, which means you got to come out, you got to beat the Jazz in this next one and take the season series two games to one. And getting Eric Gordon back, the guy who dropped a 50-burger on the Jazz the first time these two teams met up, will be largely beneficial in you know potentially achieving that goal and edging out the Jazz in the season series. A couple more things to point out before we get out of this one. James Harden, Rockets are 17-2 and now when he scores 40 or more points. So obviously when Beardman does good things on the court, this team is really hard to beat. And then past that, can we please talk about for a second the wild sequence of events that took place in this one where, what was it? It was a turnover, sorry, it was the Robert Covington three-pointer, right? Robert Covington shoots a three, gets it blocked, Kimball Walker recovers it, thinks he gets fouled, so he jacks up a, a full-length three-point shot, you know, a full-court three-point shot. It ricochets off the backboard into the hands of Gordon Hayward. And as it's ricocheting into the hands of Gordon Hayward, the camera pans over. And Russell Westbrook, it was like a banana peel slip. Like, just busts his ass on the court because there's a a wet spot, you know, that wasn't cleaned up. And then Gordon just passes the ball. Gordon Hayward just passes the ball over to Tatum for a quick two points. That was one of the funniest sequences I've ever watched, even as a Rockets fan. Obviously, I was upset that the Celtics basically got a free basket, but that was one of the weirdest sequence of, sequences of events that I've ever witnessed in a basketball game. Just, you know, I'm so, I'm sure somebody somewhere is going to put some weird, you know, funny audio over the Westbrook slip, but man, that was just, I just wanted to point that out and highlight that. That was super weird. But anyways, I think that's where we will wrap things up for today, this February 12th episode. As always, thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to have you back again very, very soon right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.